All right. Well, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to our 12 p.m. service uh, here at Citizens. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at the church. Uh, always a privilege to bring us God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, I'm just going to look at three verses, verses 28 to 30. Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 to 30. If you can choose your translation, uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And it's also going to be on the screen behind me as well. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. This is the reading of God's word. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us uh, as we begin. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you open our hearts and our ears to receive what you would have for us today? And I pray that this space would be a space of resting in Jesus. We entrust this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, today we are at the end of a, of a series we started on January 1st of this year called The Liturgical Life. And uh, the big question we've been asking is, how do we organize our lives in such a way that allows us to experience life with God and in so doing become the people we were created to be, the people we all ache to be, people of love, joy, and peace in union with Jesus? Um, you know, I've shared this a lot before, but... 2020 was one of the most challenging seasons uh, in my marriage with me and Carol, um, as it was for many married couples. Um, I can tell you that uh, there were honestly times when we didn't know if we were going to make it. Um, we had two young kids at home. Uh, she had just started at a new company and was trying to figure out how to launch a new brand. During a global pandemic, I was trying to figure out how to lead our church virtually and, and there were moments when it just felt like we could not get on the same page no matter how hard we tried. Uh, we were both super irritable. We were constantly snapping at each other. We weren't communicating. We were just operating on such different wavelengths. It was always tense in our home. Um, and I remember talking about this with my therapist, and he asked me a question. He said, well, well Jason, what is it that you want? A simple question. What is it that you want? And I said, well, I want a healthy marriage. I want to experience joy in my relationship with my wife. Uh, I want to feel loved, and I want Carol to feel loved and supported. I want to feel like we're moving in the same direction. I want our house to feel like a home again. And he said, okay, if that's what you want, is your current way of life aligned with that desire? He said, is your current way of life aligned with that desire? He said, like, how much time are you spending with each other on a weekly basis? He said, what's your morning routine like? What's your nighttime routine like? When's the last time you had a date night? And I know we're in a quarantine right now, but when's the last time after you put the kids down, you even just sat down, just the two of you, and had a conversation? And when I started to tell him what our lives looked like in that season, he said, oh, your system isn't broken it's actually working exactly the way it should because your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. He said, I'm seeing that you have no margin in your schedule whatsoever. 
so you don't have any time to spend with each other. You're both running at 100 miles an hour, which exhausts you by the end of the night, and you have no energy to even want to sit down and have a conversation. And he said, if what you really want is a healthier marriage, you have to change your way of life. He said, if that's what you really want, and I'm going to take you at your word, you have to change the way you live your life. In Los Angeles, you meet people all the time who've come here to pursue a dream. They want to be a filmmaker. They want to be an actor, a musician. But what happens a lot in L.A., and any of these people will be the first to tell you this, sometimes you get here, and all of a sudden you just get swept up in, in, in the grind, and you have to work three jobs to afford rent. You know, you're going out to different events to network, and you start getting busy. You find a group of friends, and you're, you're doing things every night. And at some point, everyone goes through this moment when they're like, they don't even know why they came here to begin with. You know, and every person, whether you, wanted, you came here to be an actor, filmmaker, musician, regularly has to ask themselves, what is it that I want? And is my way of life aligned with that desire? Are the choices I'm making every day, the people I'm in relationship with, are all these things helping me get closer to what I came here to do or are they pulling me away from my dream? And as we land the plane today, this is the question I want all of you to ask yourself. What do you want? What do you want? And is your current way of life aligned with that desire? Put another way, is your current way of life turning you into the person you want to be? Because it's turning you into something. Is it turning you into a person of love, joy, and peace, and union with Jesus? Or is it turning you into a person wrought with anxiety, insecurity, discontentment, exhaustion? Is it bringing you more freedom or rest? Or is it keeping you in bondage, making you more restless? Right? You all have a way that you live. You have patterns of sleeping and eating. You have a budget. You have a network of relationships. You have activities that you spend your free time on. And the question is, is this lifestyle giving you the life that you actually want and the life Jesus wants for you? You know, over the past few months, we have looked at eight ancient practices in the way of Jesus. The practice of silence and solitude, the practice of simplicity, reading scripture, prayer, fasting, Sabbath, generosity, hospitality, and we've examined how incorporating these practices into our lives can help us experience life in the kingdom of God, life as it was meant to be lived, the life you and I desperately long for. And obviously, we're not just limited to these eight practices, but we chose these in particular because these are all practices that have shaped the lives of followers of Jesus for thousands of years. Well, what are we going to do with all of these practices now that we've talked about each one? And I want to bring this series to a close by getting really practical, and I want to talk about something called a rule of life, a rule of life, okay? Maybe this is, uh, you've heard this terminology before, maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. This is language from the early church, and don't be intimidated by the word rule, because that word just comes from a Latin word, regula, which is where we get words like regular or regulation. And it's also a word that in the Greek is used to describe a trellis, okay? And for those of you who don't know what a trellis is, a trellis is a tool that you'll see in a vineyard. And it's basically this support structure that lifts the grapevine off the ground and keeps it growing upward toward the sun. 
and it basically protects the vine. It guards it against weeds and predators and disease. And I think the image of a trellis is such a beautiful depiction of what discipleship to Jesus looks like. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Well, how do we abide in Christ and bear much fruit? We need a trellis. We need a support structure that keeps us growing upward and guards us against all the things that want to pull us away from becoming the people we were called to be. To use the words of the Apostle Paul, we need something to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And the earliest followers of Jesus understood that they weren't going to survive in the world without an intentional plan to keep God at the center of their lives. It wasn't enough for them to just believe the right things about God. They needed a rule of life. They needed a schedule of rhythms and practices embedded into their day-to-day to create space for them to be with Jesus and become like him, okay? And it's very interesting, right? Because you and I, we make plans for everything. Okay, I've seen some of the ways, like, you guys plan your vacations, and I've seen, like, you know, some of you create these triangulated maps with all the restaurants that you're going to visit, and you schedule your entire trip around where you're going to eat. You know, you try to maximize time and efficiency to make sure you're hitting all the tourist attractions. Uh, we have a lot of people getting married in our congregation, and I do a lot of weddings, and I can tell you, I mean, some of these day of schedules are getting wild. You know, I'll get an email that says, Pastor Jason, this is what you're looking at. 402, efficient, walks to the altar. 403, efficient, gets to the altar. I'm like, I don't know if you needed to add that, okay? I, I think I got it. It's intuitive, you know? Um, but you know what's scarier? It's actually when I, get, uh, like, when I get the details of a wedding, I get an email that says wedding details. And if I know going into it that this wedding is going to have a lot of moving parts, like there are going to be a lot of different people involved in the ceremony, different elements the couple wants to add. It's very scary when I get the email and it says, 4 o'clock, wedding begins. 4.30, wedding ends. I'm like, you need to give me more than that. You know? And so on the day of, I'm like, hounding down the day of coordinator i'm like am i bringing them up like am i, am I cueing the band are we singing together during the singing are we standing up sitting down are they going to have lyrics like and what is supposed to be this beautiful moment all of a sudden becomes extremely anxiety inducing and so we don't create plans to add more stress we create plans to take stress away so that the bride and the groom and everyone involved in the wedding can simply enjoy this amazing moment. And anyone who's ever planned a large-scale event knows this, right? Because you can have everything in your mind and it, things can make sense to you, but unless there is a clear schedule and a clear guide for how the day is going to go, everyone is going to be stressed the entire time, right? And I can already tell who the type A people are in the room because you're nodding like, mm-hmm, yeah. And it's funny that we have intentional plans for just about everything in our lives except for our souls. We just think that one day we're going to wake up and suddenly be people of love. And we're going to be people of this unshakable joy and peace. 
even Jesus had to arrange his everyday life in a very specific way to stay rooted and to stay connected to the Father. How much more do you and I need a plan to reorganize our way of life in such a way that we don't get swallowed up by the currents of secularism, consumerism, individualism, not to mention all the noise and the outrage and the busyness of the modern age. You know, what many people don't realize is that in the first century, before the term Christian was adopted as the primary term to describe followers of Jesus, the term people used to describe our faith was not Christianity. It was actually the way. You didn't go up to someone and say, are you a Christian? You said, do you follow the way? And there was this collective understanding that following Jesus was a way of life. It was about interacting with God everywhere, every day, in every season and circumstance. It wasn't adopting a set of beliefs where you say, yeah, I agree with that, that, and that, so I guess that makes me a Christian. No, it was about walking in step with God. And again, the end goal wasn't to make life more demanding and more burdensome, but to adopt a lifestyle that allowed people to rest in the person and work of Jesus. And I know I've been saying this every week, but I have to say it again. The power is not in these practices themselves, okay? We are not saved by being more generous or being more hospitable. We don't earn God's love or get God to do what we want him to do by praying more or fasting more or keeping the Sabbath, right? We don't, the end goal is not for you to be able to say, I read the Bible cover to cover in a year. No, the end goal is for you to say, I'm becoming a certain type of person in union with Jesus. The end goal is living every day in the reality that you're deeply loved by God in Christ. And I have to say this over and over again because it's so easy to make this about the practices. You know, I'm, I was very worried when we started this series that people were going to walk away saying, okay, so I guess you're just saying I have to pray more, I have to read my Bible, I have to fast, I have to keep the Sabbath. But if you do that, you will miss the entire point of this entire series. You will just turn something that was meant to set you free into a heavy burden that will crush you. In fact, the, the context of the passage we're looking at today in Matthew 11 is that Jesus is actually speaking out against the Pharisees, against the religious leaders of his day, who basically said, look, you have to uphold and observe all these rituals and practices and commands and rules if you want to be loved by God if you want God to bless you, right? If you want to, um, you know, God to answer your prayers. And in a hyper-religious society where a person's identity was tied to their perceived devotion to God, this was a crushing burden for people. You had people waking up every day not knowing if they were good enough or moral enough or ethical enough or if they'd done all the right things. They weren't sure if they were worthy of God's love. And it's to these people that Jesus says in verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The practices are portals to a rest that only God can provide. What is the point of silence and solitude? It's not so that we can just be silent for the sake of being silent. Why do we sit in silence with no agenda? It's because for a certain time every day, we don't have to say anything or do anything to earn God's love. We can just be. What is the point of generosity? 
Is it so that we can give our time, energy, money, and resources to someone and then feel like a good person? No. It's so that as we practice it, we're reminded that we don't live in a world of scarcity where there isn't enough for me, but we live in a world of abundance. Where no matter how much I give to someone, I understand that I can never outgive a God who has graciously given me all things. What is the point of reading scripture? Is it so I can feel like a super Christian and feel holier than thou and clobber you with Bible verses? No. It's so that in a world that is constantly feeding us lies, that is constantly telling us you're not successful enough, you're not smart enough, you're not beautiful enough, in a world that's constantly telling us we have to do something to earn God's love, we can rest in the word of God that tells a different story. A story that says, story that about God's incomprehensible love for us as his children. Okay, so a rule of life is not meant to enslave us. It's meant to set us free. Okay, now what's very interesting though is what comes next in verse 29. Okay, so you get, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Very comforting invitation. Very next verse, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Okay, and let me just stop there and say, this is one of those classic Jesus being Jesus moments where he says something really good and comforting and you're like, yes. And the very next line, you're like, wait, 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 what? What did you say? Right, and for those of you who don't know what a yoke looks like, I'm gonna put one on the screen because we don't live in that society, like a society like that and we're city folks. Um, but this is what a yoke looks like. Okay, it's basically this heavy wooden beam that's typically fastened over the necks of a pair of oxen or a pair of mules, and it's meant to be able to, so that they could pull a heavy load or a wagon or a heavy burden. So Jesus is speaking to Jews who understood this analogy very well, which is why everyone would have been scratching their heads, because why would Jesus juxtapose an invitation to rest with an image of work, submission, bondage, carrying a heavy burden, right? What Jesus is doing is that he's offering rest in the form of what appears to be bondage. And herein lies the paradox of a rule of life. Okay? At first, when you adopt a rule of life, it's going to feel like work. It's going to be hard. I can tell you, um, you know, I've been trying to incorporate these practices into my life as a part of this series. Fasting was hard. I was so hungry, okay? And I was like, you are so weak, Jason. You're a pastor, right? Keeping the Sabbath, like stopping, like working and stopping everything for 24 hours, you would think, right? This would be such a life-giving, nourishing practice. So hard. If you're an introvert or you're a more private person, Listening to me preach on hospitality, the idea of opening your home and your life to other people who are different from you or difficult, that's going to feel like death. It's so hard. But here's what Jesus is implying by using this analogy. He's saying, I think, I think you, like you think you're free right now, but you're already yoked to something. Like, you think, like, I'm going to put this heavy yoke on you. No, you're already yoked to something. You already have a rule of life. 
you already have a way that you're living that is doing something to you. Something is already your master, and you've already organized your entire life around that thing. For some of us, it's success, success at all costs. For some of us, it's comfort or the approval of others. For some of us, it's family. And I can tell you as a dad, like it's so easy to have your entire life revolve around your kids. Like right now, if you looked at my Google Calendar, it would tell a very like specific kind of story. School, piano, golf, you know, like recreational activities. It's, it's like your whole life revolves around this. So you already have a rule of life. And if you don't know what that thing is, just do a liturgical audit of your life. Just take one day and figure out for one week, how do you spend your time? What does your weekly budget look like? Where is your money going? Where is your time, energy, resources going? Who are you spending time with? Look at who you hang out with. Look at what you're filling your mind with, and you will know right away what you're yoked to. And whatever that thing is, here's what I can tell you. Whatever it is you're yoked to, every time I say the word yoked, I feel like I'm talking about getting, like, okay, anyway, sorry. Um, whatever it is you're yoked to, that thing cannot withstand the burdens of this life. And what Jesus is saying when he says, take my yoke upon you, he's inviting us to leave whatever it is we're already yoked to and to come into the yoke with him. Because as he says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, if you're willing to do the work of organizing your life around me, I'm going to do the heavy lifting for you so that you can find rest for your soul. Now, does this mean that if we follow Jesus, we're never going to feel anxious? Does this mean we're never going to endure suffering or loneliness or doubt or grief? This isn't what Jesus is saying at all. Okay, the thing about yokes during Jesus' time was that because they were made for a pair of oxen, typically you would have two oxen and you would take the stronger ox and put it on one side and then you would take the weaker, less experienced ox and put it on the other side. And the idea was that the stronger ox would not only bear the brunt of the burden... But in walking with the stronger ox, the weaker, less experienced ox would start to learn to recognize and obey the master's voice. And Jesus is saying, this is the rest I'm promising you if you come into the yoke with me. I'm not promising you to take your burdens away, but I promise to bear them as we walk together. And the way Jesus keeps this promise is not by force or by power. He keeps this promise by humbling himself to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is why he says, when he says, he doesn't say, for I am strong or for I am holy, for I am transcendent. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. On the cross, Jesus carries the weight of our sin on his own shoulders and he is crushed for our iniquity so that you and I would not have to be crushed ourselves, so that you and I would be free of the bondage of sin and death. On the cross, Jesus secures for us an eternal rest where one day every burden will be lifted once and for all. And here's the good news. You and I can experience this reality now. We can live in God's rest that was secured for us on the cross. It just has to be learned. 
It has to be habituated into our lives, which is why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We don't just wake up one day in a state of complete peace. We develop a rule of life that teaches us to recognize and obey the master's voice. We learn to live as free people. We learn to see the world as God sees it. We learn to want God and to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, when I think about some of the greatest musicians, right, you know, I, I just went to a live show um, for the first time in a long time at Hotel Cafe this past Wednesday, and when you think about some of these musicians, you watch them and you're like, I hate them that they're so good. And there's a part of you that feels like they must have been born that good. Like, they do it so effortlessly. They're not even trying. It feels like they're just having fun up there doing the most ridiculous things. And what we often forget is that this level of mastery had to be learned. That for these musicians, this is the result of hours and hours and hours of practice playing the same things over and over again, drilling into the basics, listening to and learning from musicians who are better than they are, saying no to some things, saying yes to others, completely rearranging their lives so that they could become the musicians they wanted to be. Will it take time? Absolutely. Will it be hard? Yes. Will it often feel like you're not progressing? Yes. Okay, and trust me, in this world of instant gratification, where I can order something and have it on my doorstep in a few hours, things like prayer and fasting and silence and solitude feels very unproductive and inefficient. Sometimes I sit there for 10 minutes in silence and I open my eyes and I'm kind of like upset because nothing has changed about my life. I've just lost 10 minutes. And sometimes I'm like, is this even doing anything? What is the point of all of this, right? There are other more, quote, productive things I could be doing. But let me just tell you this. One day, life will smack you in the mouth. And one day you will experience loss. One day you will have to endure suffering and grief. One day you will be thrust into a season of wilderness, thrust into a season of loneliness, and all of a sudden, without you knowing, muscle memory will kick in and you will see what all those hours of being in the yoke with Jesus has done to your life. In, in those moments, all of a sudden, you will start to hear God's voice with such crystal clear clarity. And you will start to experience a certain kind of freedom. And you're like, why do I feel this peace even though I lost my job? It's all those years and all those hours of being in the yoke with Jesus, experiencing life with him, so much so that you trust him. Where some of these things will happen and all of a sudden your first impulse will no longer be to fear or be to panic or to be to depression, but all of a sudden your first impulse will be to run to the arms of a loving father with whom you've been walking with every day of your life. This is the beauty of a rule of life. Okay? Now, a few quick things to note as you do this, and I hope you all do this. Okay? Everyone's rule of life is going to look very different. There is no hard and fast way to do a rule of life. 
okay? And it's going to look different depending on your season of life and depending on your stage of discipleship to Jesus, okay? If you are a new parent caring for an infant at home, something like hospitality is going to look very different for you, okay? Because you don't right now have the bandwidth, the time, and the space to constantly be opening up your home to other people. And maybe hospitality will look different. If you're a new believer coming to faith for the first time, just a recommendation. Maybe don't try like living like a monk and fasting every day for the first week. Okay, because it will feel like a crushing burden. It's not going to feel like rest. Okay, I am almost 40 years old now, and I realize my body cannot do what it used to do. Like, I think it can, but then like my body is like, no, it can't. You know, and now I realize like, Back in the day, I used to be able to play sports without stretching. Now I spend more time stretching than I do playing, okay? And I just understand that I am in a different stage of life. My body is different right now. And so it's going to look different for me. We kind of have to do this, like, personal assessment of ourselves. Who am I? Am I an introvert, extrovert? You know, am I a college student? Do I have, what does my financial situation look like? Right? What is my current capacity? How am I wired? And then just start small. Right? The, goal is not to, uh, the goal is to start where you are, not where you hope to be. Okay? So maybe, for some of you, your rule of life could look something like this. Maybe the one thing you do is right now you do a liturgical audit of your life and you take a look and you realize, man, every single night, the way I end the night is with a one-hour binge on Netflix. Like, that's like every night. And I see that that's built into my rhythms. Maybe start with, for the next few months, I'm just going to watch 45 minutes of Netflix. And then I'm going to just disconnect from my devices and spend 15 minutes in silence and solitude. Start small. Maybe for some of you, like, it is habit now, where the first thing you reach for in the morning is your phone. And that, has be, that rhythm has become just ingrained into your way of life. Go on Amazon, buy like an old crappy alarm clock, right? Put your phone in the other room and maybe start your day, just read one psalm. Maybe go home today, do an inventory of what's in your home and see what can I declutter and how can I simplify. Maybe if you save 20 bucks this next month, instead of using that 20 bucks on a subpar piece of avocado toast somewhere, Maybe consider just sending that 20 bucks as a DoorDash gift card to someone in your community in need. Start small and then just see what it does. Just see what it does for your life. Because what is the alternative to keep living the way you're living? I talk to so many of you who tell me you're exhausted, you're worn out, you're barely surviving. You're like desperately looking for relief. And I have to ask you, what is it you want? And is your current way of life aligned with that desire? If you're constantly someone who is chronically angry and irritable all the time, if you find yourself constantly looking for ways to numb and escape, if you evaluate your relationships and your friendships and you're like, why is it that I can't seem to keep a stable friendship or relationship for longer than six months? Maybe there's something about your current way of life that's holding you hostage. You know, our uh, spring community groups are starting next week. 
and our community life director, Hannah Kwan, and our college director, Esther King, they have been working tirelessly to create a beautiful curriculum around this sermon series, The Liturgical Life. Okay? And basically, all of our CGs are going to now take all the sermons in this series and spend intentional time talking about and working through all of the practices that we've covered uh, throughout the past couple of months. And at the end, it's all going to culminate into developing a personalized rule of life. Okay, and if you're not in a community group, that's totally okay because we're also next week going to put this curriculum on our website under the resources tab so that everyone can access it. You can do it by work through it by yourself, or if there's a group of you that want to work through this curriculum together, it's really, really great. And I, I love how thorough the curriculum is. For each of the practices, they actually have practices for people who are starting in that practice, growing. Or deepening so you can kind of take it in stages you can say where am I right now with generosity and maybe I'm not in a place right now to start tithing or maybe I'm not really in a place to create a regular rhythm of giving you go to the starting category okay and just identify a person or cause you might want to consider giving toward right and so depending on where you are in your stage of discipleship you can incorporate the practices accordingly, right? And the beauty of a rule of life, you know, that if you start it today, it's going to constantly evolve. As your life changes, I can tell you the first time I did a rule of life was in seminary. My life looked very different then. My schedule looked very different then, right? And things have happened since then that has forced me to constantly go back to my rule of life. But in every season, I want to have an intentional plan for my soul an intentional plan, an intentional schedule of rhythms and practices to keep me connected to God. The goal is simply to do life with God. There's no guilt or shame. Show yourselves a lot of grace as you do this. Everyone's rule of life is going to look different, but the goal ultimately is simply to create intentional space to let God tell you every day how much he loves you. And this is the best way that I've heard a rule of life and these practices explained to me. They said, you know, you're not praying for the sake of praying. You're just carving out space in your life to let God tell you how much he loves you. And how much do we want that? How much do we need that every single day? How much rest would that bring us to know that throughout the day, through some of these different practices, we can experience the love of God in a visceral way. And so here's how I want to close today. I want to close with this poem by Edwin, Edwina Gately that I think really gets at the heart of what a liturgical life, what this entire series is all about. So as our worship team com comes back up, I'm going to invite us to take a moment, bow our heads and close our eyes. and encourage us to take a few deep breaths, relax our bodies. And let these words be a prayer for all of us. Let your God love you. Be silent, be still, alone, empty before your God. Say nothing, ask nothing, 
be silent, be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love and only wants to look upon you with that love. Quiet, still, be. Let your God love you. And I want to just give us a moment to do that, to let God love you, to receive this afternoon his invitation to rest. Lord, I know that I speak for so many of us in this room when I say that sometimes it just feels like life is swallowing us up. Where the city is swallowing us up. And we're looking for relief. And often we look at our lives and we see that we're not becoming the people we want to be. pray that we would receive, you would open us up this afternoon to receive this incredible invitation to come rest in you. That because of your life, your death, and your resurrection, we don't have to constantly live a life of striving and grasping and hoarding. We have everything we need So this afternoon, I pray that we would pause as a community I pray that you would open us up, that we might take your yoke upon us, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us to come rest in you. We love you. We entrust our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray.